me this morning and turn to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 15. So we're going to start this morning. Proverbs chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some Bibles there in the pew. You're welcome to use. I would encourage you uh, to begin a habit of start taking some notes. If you're not a note taker, uh, be, become a note taker. All right? Put yourself to be. Um, let, we, the Christians should always be seeking to stretch themselves. And I, and I, I can promise you that if you may start making it a habit to jot some things down during the preaching of God's Word, it will carry through your life even longer. And uh, don't just write it down on, on some trivial piece of paper that's going to end up right in the trash, okay? Try to write it down in a place where you know that uh, uh, you're going to come back to. And uh, you don't just write down everything, okay? Sometimes you see note takers and it's like there's smoke coming off their pencil. They're writing down so fast, okay? Uh, you write down the, those, those things which God is speaking to you about, those things which hopefully, prayerfully, you're coming back to look at again. And, uh, you know, uh, sometimes I, it, it's almost a little humorous when, when individuals say, I don't know where to, where to start reading for my devotions. Where do I start? And I'm thinking, well, if, if at the very minimum, if you're listening during the preaching, let that be a starting point, okay? Uh, go back and look at it. That's okay to, to go back and, you know, we eat leftovers all the time out of the refrigerator. It's okay to go back and look at a scripture passage a second time, amen? And so uh, don't, don't limit yourself uh, to the word of God that it has to be. Now look, the, the words of God are new and they're fresh and they should be every morning, amen? And we should let them be every morning that we're just feeding ourselves within the word of God. Uh, but looking back on these things, letting God work in your life, and that's, that's, uh, that's letting God do more uh, than, uh, than what can be done just in, you know, Pastor Miller getting up and speaking. Uh, so Proverbs chapter 15, and uh, we're going to look at verse number 4 together, Proverbs 15 verse 4, and kind of uh, gaining a, a thought here today uh, before we end up elsewhere in Scripture. The Word of God says, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. But perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. I'll turn a few pages over to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs 18, that wholesome tongue is talking about a gentle or a kind tongue. We're talking about words that are produced from our tongue, okay? A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. When kind words are spoken, they heal, they help, they build up, they encourage. Proverbs 18 verse 4, verse four the words of a man's mouth are as deep waters and a wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook. The words of, uh, of man can, can be had on one of two ways, but the power of them are being described in the Proverbs here as that of a, uh, a deep water and or a gushing water, a gushing turret, a flooding water. Uh, you, you ever think of the power of water? <laughs> I've seen some of these hurricanes in recent days and, and how that water just pushes through things. Uh, my wife and I, uh, thankfully, had no harm to us during Hurricane Harvey, but we were there while it was all and happening. In Texas, it already rains hard, but it, boy, it was raining so hard during that uh, hurricane. And at the time, we lived in a, in a second floor apartment, and um, uh, we thought for sure the car was gone. About probably, I would say, at least 80% of the other cars that were there in the, the, that uh, lot were gone. And uh, there was a dropping point just coming out of that apartment that. Uh, uh, there were some semi-trucks. Those were all submerged in water. I mean, it was just incredible. And then to see the, the way that that water would push different things, just the power and strength of that water. You understand that the description that's given here is that of our words and both the positive and the negative effect of what they can have. They can, they can with so much impact, with so much power, 
uh, do many incredible things. Now, the subject this morning is not so much upon our words, but rather I want to bring our attention to the words of God. But it, let me remind you also of James 3, verse 6, and when we talk about the power of the tongue, James says it this way, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. It's a strong and a powerful thing, the words which we use, the words which we share, the words which we speak. But could I say to you, more powerful than any word which we could ever speak is the very word of God. Amen? And if you think how powerful the effect of somebody's words, both critically and positively, can be had upon your life, I want you to think this morning about how powerful the word of God can be to your own life. In Isaiah chapter 55 and verse number 11, why don't you turn to that verse with me and look at the words which are given to us by God concerning His Word. The Bible tells us that God's words are words which can always be relied on. And aren't you thankful for that? Because uh, if you, we rest purely upon the words of man, uh, it doesn't matter how much you believe that you can rely on somebody's words, men will always fail and always fall short when, when compared to the very glory of God and all that God is, that very brightness of God is what that word means. But Isaiah 55 verse 11 says this, So shall my word, the prophet speaking concerning God, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. The words of God can always be relied on. They'll not return void. There is no emptiness in the words of God. And all God's people said, Amen. We can depend upon God's word, the promises that he gives to us, the, the, that assurance that he gives to us in the very words of God. And this morning I want to bring you to a man uh, of other men who was given the words of God, but these being words that were, are worthy, because they're God's words, Words that are worthy of relying upon. Uh, you know, we've all had those people in life where you gave, you know, somebody gave you a word, I'm going to do something, and they didn't do it. <laughs> uh, you know, I've been, I've been that individual more than once, especially as a child with my parents, you know. And I gave my word, I was going to do it, and I didn't do it, you know. Or you give somebody a job and say, I, I want you to do this, I'm asking you to do this. Do you do you, are you going to do it? You have my word. It's, consider it done. It's already going to be done. And then they return, and it's not finished. Well, when we consider the words of God and the power of those words, the strength of those words, the, the, the impact that they can make. And so God gives words to a man not commonly spoken of, I wouldn't say, in Scripture, a man by the name of Zechariah. Can you turn to that book with me, Zechariah? That's the one before the last in the Old Testament. Okay, so turn all the way to the end of the Old Testament and then turn back one book and you'll see Zechariah. Zechariah is... Uh, as we have talked in these past several weeks, he is one of the two prophets that were chosen by God to speak to the children of Israel uh, upon the destruction of Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem had been taken captive by the Babylonians, and uh, later the Babylonians had been overthrown by uh, the Medes and the Persians, uh, but that was of God. And you remember, why did God allow for that destruction? Why did he allow for the enemy to overthrow the Jews? Well, it was as a result of their sin. And so uh, Haggai is one of those to whom God sends. Ezra chapter 5 is where we see them beginning to prophesy. But Zechariah is the second of those. The uniqueness in Zechariah as opposed to Haggai is that uh, Zechariah is uh, a, a, a prophet to whom is given uh, eight different visions. And then by the end of those visions in the book, we find 
much more of prophecy be given to us in Scripture. Uh, definitely one of those books of the Bible that uh, has been well debated. There are some things in Scripture, if, you, uh, if you've read the Word of God enough, you'll find that there are some things in Scripture that God does not give us every explicit detail on. And can I say to you this morning, God means for it to be that way. Amen? You know, sometimes we can read into Scripture so much, and the things which are unknown, we try to define them. And we try so hard to some points where we actually uh, redefine Scripture altogether. Uh, but, and sometimes we can pour so much time into trying to understand the, the, the prophetic things of Scripture, uh, and we spend so little time in the spiritual growth that Scripture has to give to us. Let me tell you, God, we have to conclude when it comes to the Word of God that God has given to us in His Word everything that we need. Amen? And that His Word is worthy and, and uh, it must be relied upon. And, and this is what we find of both Haggai and Zechariah. These were both men whom God uh, gave His Word, and we'll see that in Scripture here together. And, and through the words which were given to them, uh, they had to simply depend upon all that God had given to them. You know, th this was a, the, the fault of the Jews was that they didn't take God at His Word. When God gave him his word, and they didn't listen to it. And so, uh, we come to the book of Zechariah uh, this uh, morning, and, you know, I, I, I like to write, um, like, kind of important notes concerning the book, right above in, my, in the margin of my Bible, right above the book itself. It just helps me to, to have a reference of them. Sometimes it's, it's points of history, or, uh, or sometimes it's the meaning to, to certain things. It's interesting that, uh, like Haggai, in the book of Zechariah, there's a particular phrase, one that is used to describe God uh, 53 times just in the book of Zechariah is the phrase, the Lord of hosts. When you read the book of Zechariah, you'll find that phrase mentioned 53 different times. Uh, in, in multiple occasions, you'll see uh, it being that reference to the mightiness of God, that he's an almighty God. But what's great about the, the name Zechariah, the very meaning of that name, literally means the Lord remembers. If you study uh, the book of Zechariah, you would find as the Lord's name is given, it's given in all caps, L-O-R-D, that's speaking of the Lord Jehovah. So when you speak in context of the prophet who's speaking for the people of the Jews from the word of God, God is saying through Zechariah, the Lord remembers. You see, right in the midst of, uh, uh, of the prophet himself, God is giving a promise to the people that he has not forgotten them. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Amen. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't forget us? Amen. We serve a God of second chances, a God who loves and cares for us even when we uh, have so many faults against him. And so we come to scripture when the word of God tells us in the eighth month, in the second year uh, of Darius, the, the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah. Now it's interesting if you look if you were to look just a page back in Haggai, the Bible tells us in the verse 1 of chapter 1 that the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month. So really what we're finding in Haggai and Zechariah is there are only two months that are taking place between the both of them prophesying. Okay, Between the time of their writing, two months have taken place. And so there is an importance in the recording of these specific months. And we see that even more so in Zechariah than Haggai because it's referenced in Scripture. But notice as the word is given to Zechariah, verse 2. The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. 
Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways, your evil do, uh, 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 and from your evil doings. But they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Look at verse 6. But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servant, the prophet, did they not take hold of your fathers? We see continually throughout Scripture the reference to the words of God, the words of God. In verse number uh, 13, the Bible tells us, And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. What are some of these words that are spoken uh, to the prophet? Verse 14, So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy, and I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease, for I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts. And a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities uh, through, through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet true, choose Jerusalem. Let's pray. Our heavenly gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for uh, all that is given to us within it. Lord, we thank you for the man Zechariah, and how that you spoke to him, and how that we can see you speaking to us. Uh, also through this book. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds to what you would have for us today. Give me uh, your Holy Spirit's filling this morning. Give me clarity of mind and of thought. May your word become clear to our understanding today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We notice these words that are given to Zechariah. The first is what we already read in verse number three. Here is the word of the Lord. The Bible says, Therefore, say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me. We see, first of all, words of instruction. Words of instruction. In verse 4, we see that phrase, and again he says, turn. In the midst of, uh, of all of the sin which the Jews have committed, we see God remembering the people, but in God's remembrance of his people, what are the instructions that he gives to them? Return. Remember in the book of Ezra, when we studied together, there was a proper return to worship that Ezra was seeking to bring them to. God sends the prophets Haggai and Zechariah with the same message. Return. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from your sin and turn back to God. First, in 1 John 1 and verse 9, the Bible says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you thankful that we serve a forgiving God? Amen? That God forgives us our sins even before we've confessed them to him. There are words of instruction. I, 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 I can't help but think in my own life, do I listen to the instruction that God gives to me in his word? Am I turning? Am I turning from my sin? Am I turning back to God? You know, that's the whole point of revival, is that there would be a stirring within our life that we would turn back to God. This is the plea that the prophet himself is making. He says, these come from the very words of God. This is the instruction, turn ye unto me. You can never truly grab a hold of the words of God until you turn to God. Amen? You can never truly grab a hold of uh, all the truth that God has for you unless the sin is removed from your life. 
We talked in Sunday school today how that sin can become passive to the mind. We can tolerate sin. No, no, this is the problem, Christian. We should not tolerate sin. Sin should not have a, a, any toleration within our life. We are seeking to live in obedience to God and His Word. Turn ye unto me. The very problem why we see a nation, America, the very problem why we see our school systems, our children, turning a different direction than, than in obedience to God is because we as God's people, Christians, have turned from the instruction of God. Are we obeying the Lord? Are we obeying Him? You see, when we consider repentance, truthfully, it's an admittance. That's the hardest thing to do when it comes uh, to, to any wrong that we have in life, is admitting that we have done wrong. When I, when I look in this passage myself, and I can't help but ask myself, have, uh, when was the last time that I repented before God with honesty and sincerity? How many days I can allow so easily to go by without any repentance and confession of my sins before God. Hey, praise the Lord, you don't have to go to a mediator. Okay? You don't have to come to the pastor to confess your sin. The Bible tells us we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can cast all of our burdens upon him because he cares for us. We can bring our prayers directly to God. But are we confessing of our sin? A proper response of God's people. I, I, I tell you, I, I can be so... Uh, guilty of not having even a response at all to the words of God. When God's word is spoken, there should be conviction and a, a, a churning, so to speak, a, 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 a stirring within my heart that God is, is, is pushing me by his instruction to do this with my life, to turn from these things. Is there a turning? Could it be today that maybe there's something that we've refused to turn from in our life or something that we have turned to in our life that is keeping us from following the instruction of God. You say, what are you talking about the instruction of God? The instruction of God, amen? These are the, this is, you want the instruction booklet to the Christian life? Read God's word. <laughs> you want to know how to live the Christian life? Read God's word. You want to know what to expect in the Christian life? Read God's word. You want to know what to do with your sin and what God's word says about it? Read it. The problem is we're not in it. How can we know to turn from our sin if we're not in the very word of God? And so God tells us there must be a repentance. But how can we come to that re point of repentance? By letting the words of God uh, and, and his plea for uh, us turning from our sin, letting them convict our hearts and responding to it. And so we see words of instruction, but not just instruction, also words of warning. Notice he says in verse 4, Be ye not... As your fathers. Be not as your fathers unto whom the former prophets have cried. You remember there was a previous generation. That generation way back before the children of Israel had ever been brought into the promised land. Before God had ever given them the land. God allowed an entire generation to die away. And that other generation was to wander in wilderness. And until that, that older generation passed, that new generation was to go in. That wasn't the first time that God did such a thing in, in wiping out an entire generation. But understand this, there were the sins that are described as the sins of their fathers. The sins of their fathers. Words of warning. You know, the, the, the problem ultimately was not that their fathers had sinned specifically. The problem was sin. 
I want you to think about that for a second. The problem was sin. You remember what happened to the children of Israel in the midst of the building? They actually started to build the temple. They built the foundation. They had gotten going. There was, there was uh, a returning from Jerusalem. The king of Persia had sent them all there. They were trying to get right to that proper focus of worship, and they got distracted. And, they, and before you know it, now they start building their own houses. Haggai says, you're dwelling in your sealed houses, and the, and the house of God is, is laying to waste. There's no roof on the house of God, and you've got roofs over your own heads. You've lost your proper focus. So he says, turn. But what's the ultimate problem? The ultimate problem is the sin. You know, sin has a traumatic effect on not just one individual, but all individuals connected with it. The problem lied back in the sins of their fathers. You see, if their fathers had kept from sin, their children would not have gone right back into those very same sins. And as I read this passage, I can't help but, but think in my own life, hey, the, what, what I choose to become passive to or accept as sin into my life, what I choose not to confess and repent of, not to turn from in my life, what sin I consider to be acceptable in my life, my children will also view as acceptable. If I say it's okay, oh, I tell you, Caleb sure does say it's okay too, okay? If I went and touched a hot stove, he'd put his hand right on the stove too with me, you know? It, it, that's just how children are. And they don't change when they get older, and I don't have to be an expert parent to know that, okay? How many things I look at in my own life I do because my father did them? Somebody says, why are you doing that? It's because my father did that. That's the only way I ever know, because my parents did that. They taught me that way. The Bible tells us the sins of their fathers. When you consider sin here for a second, it, it, it's the connection that sin has. People like to say, well, the fathers shouldn't have done that. It's unfortunate that this generation has to suffer for the sins of their fathers. No. No, you're looking at it wrong. The problem is sin. And when sin begins in an individual's life, it will corrupt every the family, the friends, every connection that it has with it. We can't be so quick to point the finger at the fathers. Though they committed the sin, the problem is the sin. Somebody says, well, well now, why, why are they having to suffer? Why? They, they wouldn't have fallen into that. At the end of the day, the problem is sin. Let's be careful, Christian, not to go pointing the finger at all the specifics. Sin is sin. If there's sin, it must be repented of and confessed before God. It must be turned from. At the end of the day, sin will always reap destruction. Think about David, right? A man after God's own heart. A boy to whom God used to slay a giant. And yet, through one sin, and someone could say it wasn't even that big of a deal, it was just one sin. But through one sin, it affected his entire family. You think about Adam. My goodness, talk about being the pressure on somebody, right? He's the first man in all the world. Because of that one man's sin, he's seeing the first of the two children in all the world in such anger and bitterness and hatred that one of them's killed. Think about Achan, right? Achan and his sin. His sin affected his whole family. He just stole possessions that were for himself, but it affected the entire army. I tell you, the sins in our home will affect our family. The lack of faithfulness to God will affect our family. The, the, the sins of our past, truthfully, unfortunately, they affect the family. 
Now, do we dwell in our sins and say, oh my goodness, now it's all over? No. Now it says, we confess our sins. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But we are to be not as our fathers, okay? If you were to trace our fathers all the way back, you would find Adam at the very beginning, okay? We're not to go right back into the sin. The warning is, learn from them. And I take it back to the parents today, mothers and fathers today. Your, parents, your children are learning from you. They're learning from you what is important and what is not important. How, how important church is, how important the Word of God is, how important prayer is. They're learning how important it is to talk, uh, for Daddy to talk to Mommy sweetly. They're learning how important it is uh, to, uh, to carry uh, any root of bitterness or not carry it. They're learning how important it is to be a hard worker. Learning how important it is to be faithful. You go through the, right on down the line. Our children are watching us. Someday, we'll be said of the fathers, okay? And the warning should, that we should be giving to our children should be, be not as your father. <laughs> Don't just do what you're doing because daddy's doing it. Do it because your heavenly father tells you to do it. Amen? You see, the, the father figure... Truthfully, ultimately, for our children should be pointed not to ourselves, but to God. Are we teaching our children? Are we emphasizing to our children? Are we warning our children? God warns us. Verse 4, the Bible tells us of the people at the end of the verse, they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. In verse 5 through 6, notice, your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, there's the words again, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. What's happened here? God says this, Hey, do you see any name? Made for your own fathers, he says. No, truthfully, all that you can see as a result of, of their lives, they've passed, but you can see their, the sin and the result of their sin. There's, there, there isn't any name to be made of. And could I say, you know, as, as, as fathers, as men, as mothers, the name which should be see, we should be seeking to make for our children and to instill in our children should not be so much of who we are and what we had to give, but what God can give to them. Amen? The prayer is that God will work through us, but it's not about us. Too many Christians and good Christian families are functioning and quote-unquote living the Christian life based purely upon how our fathers and mothers live. Well, the only reason why you're in church is because mom and dad, they've always been here. So we grew up in this church. The only reason why we read our Bible is because mom and dad always read this. The only reason why we read the book of Matthew is because mom always loved the book of Matthew. The reason why we pray this way, because that's always how dad prayed. You know, those are not bad things. What I say to you, is it, at the end of the day, is it God's words that are the most important words? Are we seeking for God to be what is remembered within our home or ourselves? Someday, Stephen Miller will be gone. 
And all, there will be very few things that will be remembered of me. And that's the same question which the prophet is bringing. Your fathers, where are they? They're gone. Don't, don't do as your fathers do. Look, look, you, you, the, 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 all, all that has happened thus far in your life is, is, yes, as a result of your choices, but those choices should be out of obedience to the words of God. And so the Bible tells us there are words of instruction, there are words of warning. Number three, there are words of judgment. Words of judgment. In verse 7, we now see the beginning, the first of eight visions which are given to uh, Zechariah. We're not going to look at all eight visions this morning. We're going to look at just the first one today. The Bible tells us in verse number 7, Upon the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month. Now, verse 1 tells us it was the eighth month. But in verse 7, we're now in the eleventh month. So some time has passed between verse 1 through verse 6. And now we're in verse 7, okay? Notice the Bible says, In the second year of Darius the king, so we know who's the king at that time, and what comes? Came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah. Verse 8, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse. And he stood among the myrtle trees, and were in the bottom, and, be, and behind him were red horses, speckled and white. Then said I, O my Lord, what are these? What is the meaning, he says. And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show thee what these be. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, the earth sitteth still and is at rest. Again, there's been much debate that's been made about exactly what everything means, but I, I say to you there are two things that are without a doubt for sure we know the representation of within this vision. The first is who that man is riding on the red horse. And that is answered in verse number 11. The Bible tells us, it is the Lord. It is the Lord himself. But then, yet also we know of those myrtle trees. Those myrtle trees are the Jews, the children of Israel themselves. So I explain to you again, here is, here is the man riding on the red horse. Here is Jesus. And behind him are other horses of different colors. The white likely, very likely have to do with victory. That red of the horses having to do with the blood or the judgment and, and their speculation of, of, the, of the spotted. But ultimately, it would seem to be, here is Jesus and the host of angels walking among the myrtle trees, walking through the earth. And as they're walking, what do they see? What, do they, what, what is the end result? What is, what is acknowledged, the Bible tells us at the end of verse 11. We'll walk to and fro through the earth, and behold, the earth sitteth still and is at rest. There's quietness. There's stillness. But why is there quietness and stillness? Well, in, in, uh, in example of what's being given to Zechariah, in explanation of what's being given to Zechariah, there's stillness, there's quietness, because the people had been destroyed. The destruction had taken place. They're no longer there. So that, that picture of those myrtle trees, God's, God would, and the angels would roam through Jerusalem, but the children of God are no longer there as a result of their sin. And that's where we see of the judgment of God, these words of judgment. Because in the midst of this, these words which are given to Zechariah, we see prophecy of things which are to come. Here we see, and if you parallel with the book of, of Revelation, we see Jesus who returns for his own. 
But on that judgment day, that judgment day when all of those who are believers will go to be with Christ, but this earth itself will be destroyed. Isn't it wonderful to see Jesus even in the midst of the Old Testament? In the midst of this judgment, here's Zechariah. He's standing together with an angel who's working as an interpreter with him and telling him and explaining to him what this dream means. A question is asked by this angel, and he says this in verse 12, Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy? How long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem? If you're going to have a mark in your Bible, I would circle those two words. How long? How long? You know, we don't know when Christ will return. We don't know when this world full of sin will someday pass away. But we do know that Christ will return. Amen? The question that is asked, how long wilt thou not have mercy? He's not questioning God's character as though he, he is unable. It's questioning where is the mercy of God? God, when will you show yourself merciful again? Now, I want you to catch this. This is important, okay? If you catch anything else in the message. How long wilt thou not have mercy? When will you show your mercy again to God's people? Zechariah says, when are you going to let the Jews begin that, that work again, return to proper worship? When are you going to begin to show your mercy yet again? We live in a world today in which the question could be asked, when is God going to show his mercy and his return to bring his people back to, together to be with him? How long till you withhold your mercy? Only as long as we live on this earth do we continue to face the results of sin, the destruction of sin. And ultimately sin, when, it, when it's had its, uh, its complete work, will lead to death and that ultimate destruction by even by that, which, that judgment which God himself will bring. But notice, I love verse 13. The Bible says, And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. That's a worthy verse of marking in your Bible. We don't just find words of judgment, but we find words of goodness and comfort. Words of goodness and comfort. Aren't the words of God always good? Amen. Amen. Do we believe that today? Don't the words of God always bring comfort? And when I'm discouraged, I can come to the word of God, and I'm encouraged. Amen. When I come to the words of God, I know that God is speaking to me, that God is doing a work in my life. And what are these words of God? Notice verse 14. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Notice the parallel here. He says, number one, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. Number two, verse 15, And I am very sore displeased with the heathen. In verse 16, he says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. These are the words of goodness and comfort. God says, I am jealous. I am a je there is a jealousy. I am a jealous God. Understand that word jealousy is not speaking of jealousy to the point that, that God is full of himself. But that jealousy literally means, if you study that word, it actually speaks of a passion. It actually literally means a burning zeal. 
God says, I, I am jealous for Jerusalem. I am zealously passionate. I desire to bring. I desire to, to bring God's people back. I desire to show mercy. The question is asked, how long will you withhold your mercy? God says, I am jealous. I am zealous. I, I desire with great passion. Let me tell you, God so is, is so zealous of us, so passionate of us, that he desires, he desires that we would turn back to him. But that comes with an obedience to his word. He says, I am very displeased with the heathen. Understand this heathen is speaking of Babylon, the, the, uh, Persia, these, these countries to whom God had allowed to overthrow Israel. Yes, God allowed it, but now they're doing far and beyond that which God was allowing. <laughs> now God is no longer in it. And God says, I am very sore, displeased with the heathen. The enemy will be destroyed. <laughs> I will return for my own, he says. And in, uh, in verse number 16, I love this. He says, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. There's a connection from verse 12 down to verse 16. How long wilt thou not have mercy? He says in verse 16, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. The mercy of God. The God of second chances. The God of comfort. The God of goodness. Our God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us those words are good. Those words are comfortable. Christian, we live in a world today in which uh, that, that stillness, so to speak, is as a result of sin. Sin is only, is only waxing worse and worse. And here is God and, and, and the angels, they're walk, walking to and fro. And by the way, no, I love that phrase because in other passages we see Satan and, and, and uh, his angels walking to and fro. But in the midst of Satan's walking, here's God and his angels walking too. Amen? But as God walks, all that is seen is the result of sin. The question is asked, how long? Hold on to these promises. God says, I'm a jealous God. God says, the enemy has not won. I despise the heathen. God says, I am returned. I will return. I'm going to return. I'm coming back. Dwell upon the mercy of God. You see, these words that are given to us by God are words that can be relied upon. They're fast and sure words. Words that that uh, will not return void. Words that can be rested upon. Words which we can stand on. Words that are good and comfortable. Notice verse 17. The Bible says, Cry yet. Notice the yets that are used in this verse. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through the prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. What that's saying is, it's going to happen. <laughs> say, Pastor Miller, what in the world are you trying to say today? I'm saying that Christ is returning. Amen? Christ is coming back for his own. And thank God for his mercy that he is returning. But until he does, until that yet, until he comes <laughs> and returns for his own, and we, those myrtle trees, and boy, there's representation, I believe, in those myrtle trees, just the same. We as those myrtle trees upon this earth 
in the stillness, the results of sin, are we ourselves, are we ourselves turning away from the sin? In other words, is God going to find us faithful? Are we going to be found in obedience to God, having followed the instruction, the warning, knowing of the judgment, resting on the goodness and the comfort of his words? Is that how God will find us? It's Zechariah who's, who's, who's really speaking for the people. And as his first of those visions are given, how can, how can one help but, but think that Zechariah is now encouraged because here is the mercy of God. And I say to you, we see Jesus Christ, right before Jesus had even died upon the cross, here we find uh, in, in the Old Testament the promise of Christ's coming. The promise of Christ's return. Christ will come back. So we think back in all that we've talked about thus far. Are we living without sin? Are we following that instruction? Are we following God's warning? The warning is, your fathers aren't remembered. You're not going to become a father that's remembered. Don't let your lives be lived in simply the remembrance of what they did. Let your life be lived for the glory of God and obedience to his words. Know that the judgment of God is coming. In the midst of that judgment, rest assured on the goodness and the comforting words of God. Let's every eye bowed and every eye closed. Thank you for listening this morning. It's, I know, yet again, it's, we've had much preaching this week. But I don't know about you, when I read the book of Zechariah, my heart is encouraged and challenged. My heart is challenged that I would keep from sin... Rest on God's words, that it would not be about me. That I would remember the judgment of God, but most importantly, that I would rest on the comfort and the goodness that he gives to me within it. We live in such a, a discouraged world today. <laughs> we become down and out about things of life. At the end of the day, all those things will pass away. We'll, the, those who are believers will go to be with Christ in heaven. This world itself will be destroyed. But what are we doing for God until that day? I wonder if your, God has spoken to your heart as he has mine through this passage. You say, Pastor Miller, God's spoken to me today. Could I pray for you today? Anyone like that here this morning? Pray for me, Pastor. Thank you. I see those hands. Amen. Amen. Pray for me also, Pastor. God's spoken to my heart. Amen. May God.